This episode of the Blackstick Global Podcast is sponsored by Blackstick Global Passport. Join aspiring Black expats, expats, and repats, where you can build community, get resources, and gain support along your journey abroad. You're invited to join Blackstick Global Passport. Inside Passport, you'll find exclusive workshops on everything from expat taxes, financial planning, insurance, job boards, accountability check-ins, and more more. You can even take Passport on the go with our app available for iOS and Android devices. Just click the link in the episode you're listening to or visit blacksitglobal.com and click on Passport. See you inside. I bought a one-way ticket and just been here ever since. Close your eyes and imagine living a life you love, unapologetic and unbothered, free from daily microaggressions from Karens and Kens, Free from the fear of police brutality and systemic racism. Wouldn't that feel amazing? Now open your eyes. What if I told you that it's possible? Hear inspiring stories and get the actual blueprints from brothers and sisters of the diaspora who are living out their wildest dreams abroad. You've heard the term, now be inspired by the movement. I'm Krishan Wright, and this is Blacksit Global. I am so excited for this episode of the Blacksit Global Podcast because I get to tackle one of the most important parts to moving abroad. People are concerned about finances. So I brought to the show none other than Deshaun Peterson, who is joining me today from Shanghai, China. Welcome to Blacksit Global, Deshaun. Thank you for having me, Krishan. I really appreciate it. Um, hopefully I can share something insightful for your audience. Awesome. I'm sure you will. I know that you're from Detroit. You have been in China for over six years. So tell us a little bit about how you made that leap. Uh, yeah. So I'm from Detroit. Um, uh, been in China going on, it'll be seven years in November. Born and raised in Detroit, went to high school, you know, everything high school. Then I went to in Kalamazoo. Uh, so I went to Western, shout out to the Broncos. Uh, and when I graduated from there, I moved to Chicago. So I was in Chicago for three, four years. I kind of had that bug, right? Uh, one of the one things I always regretted about university was that I didn't take advantage of the study abroad. Things that my my current or my previous career at the moment weren't really going as I see fit. I started to get in that same routine. Um, and then one of my friends put the bug in my ear and I bought a plane ticket. Uh, just thinking, hey, I'll go to China and travel and come back to America. But I bought a one-way ticket and just been here ever since. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> so you were having a conversation with a friend and then you bought a one-way ticket to China. At that time, did you know any of the language? Because Chinese, I, I've tried to do it a little bit on Duolingo. Chinese is a, oh. a challenging uh, language to learn. Did you know any Chinese? No. Well, it wasn't, I guess, as fluid as a transition, right? They put it in my ear and I sat with it by myself, to myself for about a year. So when the decision that was already made, I already made the decision. So when I came here, I knew no one. I was just green eye, open, you know, and just ready. So when I first came, I want to say maybe the first three, four months, I didn't know any Chinese. You know, you just, you pick up things because of survival, right? Everyone knows Mandarin, 
that's the mainland's main language, right? And as you go south towards like Guangzhou and Guangdong and Hong Kong, they speak Cantonese, but Mandarin's the main language. So a good friend of mine, he said, hey, if you want to get by, go take a class. So I went to a university, Donghua, uh, which is one of the, it's about 12 universities in the city, right? Shanghai. And they had this full-time program. I think it was like, I want to say I pay like 5,000 kwai for the summer, 8,000 kwai for the summer. So that's about $1,500 at the time. And it was full-time, you know, Monday through Friday, 8 to 12 for seven weeks. And then I just continued for another year and a half. So I studied probably full-time for about one and a half, two years Mandarin. Wow. And so at the end of that, time period, did you feel like you had a good enough handle, maybe not fluency, but some level of proficiency in the language? Well, the thing about Shanghai is a metropolitan city. So it's a world city, to be honest. So even though foreigners here are so, we're such a sand on the beach of China, it's a world city, right? So it's the most accommodating for English speakers, but there's such a, a, a wide range of foreign speakers here, right? Most of my friends speak English as a second language and they're not Chinese, right? So I have a good chunk of my friends who are native French speakers, Spanish speakers, ton of Russians, uh, Korean and Japanese. So though your day-to-day is, you know, you hear Mandarin on the street, but I would say as a foreigner in Shanghai, most of your interactions outside of like um, business and transactions and things like that, won't be in in Mandarin nor English. You know, they could be in a a third language easily. My first two years really gave me the foundation to get around, to travel. Um, I don't have a problem, you know, having, you know, getting around the country like that. But yeah, I think it was just, it was, it was enough and still is, still is enough. Wow. That's great. So let's take a step back. So you dropped into, into China, you started to learn Mandarin. And then at some point, (laughs) which I guess gets us into our topic, you know, the issue of finances comes into play, right? So figuring out how you're going to survive, how you're going to find employment. And as you mentioned, you're in a metropolis, really, and having the ability to meet and connect with people of different languages, different backgrounds. What is that like trying to then seek employment, given, like I said, your proficiency in the language? Is it challenging from that perspective? That's a good question. So to manage expectations, there are usually four types of foreigners here when it comes to careers, right? People who are transferred here from MECs, you know, multinational corporations, so ABM Bev, L'Oreal, you know, massive companies. So they're transferred here, maybe two, three years, four-year contracts with families. Then there's the startup or entrepreneur, entrepreneur, foreigner here who's here to start a business, tech startup, etc. Teachers make up the most of it. So teaching English, teaching in general is here is probably the biggest employer. I would probably say 60, 70% of foreign employment is in education in some shape, form, or capacity. And then there's others who are, uh, I would say, more business development and sales. So it might be one, you are working for a Chinese company and trying to do business development on an international level, so outside of China, or on the reverse, you're working for a multinational or small business company and you're trying to you're trying to penetrate the Chinese market. 
So for foreigners, most likely you won't be selling to locals. You'll be working in an international environment, doing international things just because your counterparts who are Chinese, you know, in culture and in language, there, you know, is a, a thousand to one who have studied overseas in the US, UK, Canada, who speak fluent English. So you cannot compete with them on that level. But your competitive edge is you are a foreigner. So they're not looking for you to speak, you know, Mandarin. They're looking for you to do something that your counterparts can't do, which is how can you get access on a global scale or, you know, vice versa? That was a great answer because, you know, you gave a, a, a broad perspective on, you know, what it's like because um, I hadn't taken it into consideration. I think, you know, for some people, when they think about some opportunities, particularly in, you know, Asian countries, there's this perception that, oh, I can't get a job there or I won't be able to survive because, you know, I'm too old to learn a language or, you know, whatever the case may be, or or think that the culture shock might be a little bit of a challenge to overcome. Um, not to dismiss and say that it isn't, but I think you, you definitely illustrated why there's a plethora of opportunities by breaking down the segments. How did you get into finance? I want to say I was at maybe year three. I was halfway through my current tenure. So I was actually heading back to America. I was actually done with China. I was like, okay, the party's over. I haven't found any footing. And I was actually headhunted by a recruiter. He's like, hey, we saw your profile on LinkedIn. You got, you know, this type of experience. What would you think about coming in in like a business development role at this financial uh, services company? And I just thought, why not? Something to do, something to keep me in China and, and I could probably make a couple bucks. And to my surprise, I fell in love with the role. Honestly, I never considered myself to be a financial person, but it really just widened my eyes on a global scale to the world of money. So I'm going on four years in financial services as a financial advisor for expats. And, you know, I'm happy I'm in this role. But, yes, actually changed my whole perspective on money, but also money for uh, millennials, people traveling around the world and just for people who are expats and just thinking, okay, what should I do? Where are my options if I am abroad, if I don't plan to go back and and help people with with that journey? That's fantastic. And and I should also mention that you've created a, a platform for that. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your new platform? Okay. Yeah. So FitBudgets is kind of like a brainchild of mine. So again, I mentioned I work for a financial services company. It's a British company, right? I'm the resident American. But also I'm one of the younger people at the company uh, because wealth tends to favor the old, older or elder. And I felt that, uh, especially in the overseas market in East Asia, for the expat, it was a old traditional form of communicating financial planning. And Fit Budgets was really just to connect the, the audience, not with only their options, but to educate them on the way. Change the position of financial advisors, not as gatekeepers to products and services and you know wealth management, but as more of a guide, you know, as a guide, as a shepherd to say, here's what a pension is and here's why it's important. Here's what you should know. Or here's why, you know, interest rates are important for equities and stocks. 
here are some books that you should read. Here are some things that you can work with me hand in hand, and I'm not just telling you what to do, but you can understand why I'm making these decisions in the in the in the world that we live in today. Um, so that's what Fit Budgets is really based about. Uh, we do monthly book clubs. Uh, we have a financial literacy development program where we meet every two weeks and we cover different topics in depth. Uh, we have a thriving WeChat group that has kind of become its own own thing. I have members all through the mainland, Hong Kong, Taiwan, South Korea, Europe, and in the U.S. And, you know, we just continue to make that connection that it's okay to talk about money while living abroad. We'll be right back. Moving is right up there with death and divorce in the Stress Olympics. But fear not, turn that box of woes into a crate of woes with moving tips in the Life Beyond Boxes podcast with Premium Q Moving. Dive into the world of hassle-free moves, learn tips and tricks to save on cash and your sanity. Say goodbye to those moving meltdowns and hello to the smooth sailings, or should we say smooth movings? Tune into Life Beyond Boxes with Premium Q Moving on lifebeyondboxes.com or find us on your favorite podcast platform. And with us, unpack the secrets to a stress-free move. Yes, it is okay to talk about it, about money, living abroad, about planning your money for your move abroad, you know, and everything in between. It's interesting because as I, you know, said in the intro, the one of the biggest challenges to moving abroad that I've observed and also, you know, we've done a survey of the group is finances. I'd be interested in, in your perspective on this because sometimes when people think about budgeting, it's almost akin to dieting, right? It's like, uh, it feels restrictive when what's been my experience is having a now greater level of financial literacy and competency. I view my budget as a plan that helps me move about, you know, in my current you know, environment as well as planning for my Blacksit. So do you find that to be one of the um, either challenges or interesting topics to, to delve into within your, your community? Um, not necessarily. I would say the biggest, the biggest issue is education, recognizing different, your relationship with money because people from different countries have different relationships. They respect money different. My experience, you know, the Americans spend the money the fastest, but I have mm. also have clients or friends who are South African and they save it extremely well, but uh, their pension systems or their stock market might not be the strongest. So they're a little bit skeptical on those things. And people I meet like in, uh, in East Asia countries, right? They have a different perspective on money. So I think it's about a general benchmark on educating on money, right? Literacy as far as not just saving money, but okay, how do we grow it in your sleep? I, I would say out here in Shanghai, people live middle class on a modest salary, right? You're, you're living a middle class lifestyle comparable to someone in, let's say the US making 40, 50, 60 grand a year, live that here maybe making between, let's say 25 and 35,000 a year. And, but you're able to save even more. So I think it's not just saving. It's about, okay, what do I do next after I've saved this lump sum or this, you know, rainy day fund? 
Mm, mm, that's powerful. So for expats, because I know you spend a lot of time working with expats and you talked about relationship with money, I guess along with that is mindset around it. What do you see as the biggest mistakes that expats make when they make that jump from their home country to uh, a new land? They don't respect the money. Mm. I would say they come abroad um, to do whatever. And because the lifestyle or the quality of life is better or is higher, uh, it's not uncommon for someone to spend two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten years abroad, especially out here in Shanghai and China, and have nothing to show for it but some cool pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no quantifiable skills, no pension, no savings, no property, no nothing. Just not living check to check, as in not making enough, but living check to check is. They're spending it on just, you know, the lifestyle, you know, inflating their lifestyle. Got it. So the lesson there and the takeaway there is really, like you said, respecting the money, understanding that depending on where you move to, the lifestyle may be more favorable and advantageous from whence you came, but not to go hog wild (laughs) and have nothing to show for it. What are your recommendations for people as they, you know, because a lot of the listeners are still based in, you know, the United States and are planning mm-hmm. for their move abroad, what would you say are the maybe top three things they should consider? Um, I would say have enough cash for for the first year. You need at least fifteen, twenty thousand for the first year cash if you live in East Asia, and that's and that's not even like East Asia. That's maybe like mainland Taiwan. APAC, right? So Malaysia, Indonesia. But if you're going to somewhere like Singapore, Japan, um, Hong Kong, Korea, these more mature markets, you, you probably need more just because there's so much in getting settled in a new country that the money will literally flow from your hands. Just getting set up from apartment to equipment, whether your apartment's furnished or not furnished learning your routes, maybe you have to get a bike, maybe you have to get a scooter, having a cushion enough to give you the capacity and the mind frame to learn your mistakes. So if you go over there, if you come abroad and you have no money, you know, you're compounding the stress with living in a new country. So I would say have at least, you know, six to 12 months of just cash ready Mm -hmm. to be spent. And then I would say next, make sure that, you are familiar with the banking system. All banks, all currencies are not created equal. So for here in the, in, uh, in the mainland, the RMB is a closed currency. So you cannot just conveniently walk to the bank and say, I'm going to transfer this money to my U.S. account. You know, there's a long list of documents that you have to acquire. There are limits on how much currency you can exchange. Those things really, 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 really are important. Just become familiar with the banking system, how easy it is to transfer if it's union pay or visa or massacre, you know, it's like, what is your employer or what's the banking system like? So I would say those two things are very important. I would say have a have a quantifiable goal or just say, okay, after this year, I'm going to do this. You know, I believe that you come abroad for the experience of the first year. Okay, you can mess around, right? After that, quantify those goals as soon as possible and not just let time get the best of you because... It's a great experience, but again, you know, what's all that experience if you have no money or nothing to your name? 
one other thing that, you know, you touched on that's really interesting, you know, as we talk about, you know, the whole budget and, you know, kind of planning your goals and objectives around your finances, you mentioned exchange rates, being able to think through those things. Is it helpful or should expats or aspiring expats consider having their money in their new country's currency or maintaining accounts in their home country, let's say it's the United States. Keep it in dollar, 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 dollar. I know people want to <laughs> leave. Dollar, the US. dollar, dollar. <laughs> I know you want to leave the U.S. I know people want to leave, you know, blacks. I, I get it. You know, I understand. I'm living it. You don't really understand the value of it until you don't deal with it, right? And you realize, oh, there are currencies that just aren't as strong, especially out here, right? If you have renminbi or you convert it to taiwanese dollar or vietnamese dong or you know or you're going to other places like Myanmar, cambodia you know all currencies are not created equal so i would say that yes keep a a a checking account or savings account in your new country for like spending maybe you know some part-time savings but the bulk of it should be in dollar pounds euros of you know one of those big currencies us or euro just because I've been in, I remember I went to Thailand a few years ago and I had my Chinese card and I had my Chase account. Even though this ATM at the hotel had like Union Pay, which is like the Chinese equivalent Visa MasterCard, I went to the ATM machine and it just, and it said, your card is denied. What? Now, if I had all my savings, if I had all my savings on that card and I didn't have my Chase account, I would have been SOL in this third country. That's not the U.S. or where I'm living at in China, right? And mm-hmm. I've just been just embarrassed, right? So I would just say, yo, you have to recognize that dollar, that euro is powerful. Keep it ready. Because I, I meet people from all around the world, from South Africa, from Malaysia, from Korea, from west to east and north to south. They'll just tell you from their own experiences, right? Like our currency isn't performing the best. If you mm-hmm. have like RAN or if you have like Colombian pesos, Argentinian pesos, oh, you know, it's going up, it's going down. USD and euros, pounds, they might go up, they might go down, but there's still like a range of this will be accepted nine times out of 10, Got if not it. 10 out of 10. As we start to wrap up, where do you see is, I know we talked about literacy and, you know, financial fitness, if you will. What do you see as your biggest learning from this endeavor in your move to China? That financial literacy is universal, uh, no matter where you're from, teacher, general manager, entrepreneur, or import, export. We across everywhere need to learn more about money. We are a lot more in control of it than we think we aren't. I would say the biggest thing for me was just picking up a book and just reading like one book a month or every other month about money, continuing that consistency. So I would say I speak to people who in China who don't know enough about money beyond saving. I speak to people from South Africa, same thing. People from the U.S., Canada, same thing. It's just financial literacy is universal. Great. So as we wrap, where can people find you? I'm on LinkedIn, mainly Deshaun Peterson, or you can find me on fitbudgets.com on uh, the website. That's fit-budgets.com. And also on YouTube, Fit Budgets. I'm Deshaun on there. 
and on Instagram, Peterson.Deshawn uh, is my at name, but mainly LinkedIn and um, YouTube are my things. That's fantastic. So Deshawn, thank you so much for being a guest on Blacks at Global today. I learned a lot about you know, finances uh, in preparation for a move abroad. You know, you gave some really actionable gems for people to consider um, everything from where to keep their money when they're abroad, giving thoughtful counsel around thinking about one's relationship with money, you know, goal setting for the future to make sure that to your point, you don't go in and jump into the deep end without a real plan and then not having anything to show for it in the end, but a few pictures. I am very grateful for your time today, your gems that you dropped. And I really want to encourage our listeners to take action, connect with Deshaun, be a curious learner. If if you're weak in one area of knowledge, take the opportunity to find the information And dig deep and challenge yourself to research more because learning about your finances will only empower you to make better decisions. So I just want to thank you again for your time. Thank you for having me. We'll love to do it again. Thank you for listening to the Blackseat Global Podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit our website at blackseatglobal.com. Has this episode left you feeling inspired to begin your journey, but not quite sure where to start? Download our free guide with the top five questions you need to ask before planning your Blacksit. You can find that under the resources tab of our website. Remember, it's not only possible to live out your dreams unbothered and in full color, it is your birthright. Are you trying to sort out health plans, banking, VPN, and other connectivity for your move abroad? Well, have no fear. We've got you with the Move Abroad Starter Kit. Get yours today at blacksitglobal.com resources. That's blacksitglobal.com resources.